My son-in-law, Tyler, decided that uh, life as a trainer in the NFL was no place to raise a family. I'm pretty proud of him for that. So he and Lauren are now in Fort Worth completing his first semester at the uh, University of North Texas so that he can become a physician's assistant. <laughs> but of all the seasons to leave the Texans, he has to leave this season. <laughs> They're 10 and 4. Um, uh, they're vying for maybe even the first seed in the AFC, and uh, it's just been a great, great year for them, and so he's missing being there, and trust me, the father-in-law perks that I got from that, <laughs> I am missing him being a part of the Texans this year. We did get to see one great game last year. The Colts came to town, and we got to attend NRG Stadium uh, before um, uh, he had to say goodbye. Before the game, we had the privilege of being down in the field to watch the players warm up. And it just so happened that we had the opportunity to see one of my favorite receivers up close and personal. There he is, Wes Welker. He was a star receiver for the Texas Tech Red Raiders in college before he became one of Tom Brady's favorite targets uh, on the Patriots. He joined the Texans as their receivers coach last year. We thought that was cool. We were hoping we might be able to see him. And sure enough, when we were down on the field watching the team warm up, Wes came over to say hello to us. At least I thought. He actually came over to say hello to his wife and son, who you see him talking to here at the moment. But we were close. And we didn't exactly exchange uh, phone numbers or anything, but uh, it was kind of neat to see someone that I admired so much on the screen to see them in person. Some of you have interacted directly with celebrities of maybe uh, more grandeur than Wes Walker. Uh, maybe not so much in the sports realm, maybe, maybe in movies, uh, maybe in politics. Some of you have not just had conversations with some celebrities and well-known folks. You've gone the next level up and y'all shared some things together. Maybe had dinner together, maybe uh, went on a hunt together, um, just shared some experiences, maybe have some same, similar values and that's another level up from meeting someone in person. And then there's another level up that goes even past friendship and, and shared values. And that's what we've come to talk about this morning because someone incredibly, incredibly well-known came in person to see us. And wants more than just a, a conversation with us, wants even more than just our admiration He'd like to have a relationship with us. But he didn't even stop there with shared values and a shared relationship. He went even further. At a place where most of our friendships and even most of our loves haven't gone. And we're here to talk about that in just a few moments. But let's pray before we do. Father, we um, are truly grateful just thank you for moving in Kirk's heart this morning and beginning that process of, of maybe calling us out of some things that didn't leave us feeling so grateful this morning. Even the songs that we sang and lifted up just weren't, really weren't quite doing that, but being reminded of how blessed we are started a process. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you continue that? Would you stir in us, especially in a season that can be so stressful, 
Will you help us, please, be grateful? You deserve that. And um, there's something that happens to us when we experience it. And so, Holy Spirit, through this message, along with brothers and sisters like us who are meeting around this, this town today, would you please, especially those that are at uh, Zion Lutheran Church, would you please be in those services, bless those services, and help us unite together as one voice in this community of gratefulness for all that you have meant in our lives. For we ask us humbly in Christ's name and everyone's sin. Well, Christmas is just a couple of days away. And I know for a lot of you guys, it puts a lot of pressure on you. <laughs> because if you're like me, you still got things to buy and things to purchase. But I really do hope that 2018 is a Christmas that none of you forget. That God does something in a very special way, maybe not so much in a, a gift that you open that has a box and wrapping paper, but a gift all the same. That he brings to you this season that marks 2018 like no other. There's a gift that he can bring, if you're open to it, that will matter more on December 26th than I promise you any gift that you can open in a box on December 25th. And that's a relationship in which you know, like you're sitting in this room, that you matter. And that you're loved. Every single one of us needs one of those. Every single one of us needs to be loved on that level. And maybe no one more than possibly Santa. Especially after hearing about one particular letter that a six-year-old boy wrote. Dear Santa, I'm only doing this for the class. I know your naughty list is empty. I know your good list is empty. And I know your life is empty. You don't know the trouble that I've had in my life. Goodbye. Love. I am not telling you my name. <laughs> How about that letter? Santa needs a little bit of love after receiving one of those. Because not everybody loves Santa. They don't. And not everybody loves you. And not everybody loves me. And so that's why I will say again, I hope... Some way, somehow, in 2018, during this season in which we're celebrating God with us, that you experience exactly what he hoped that would mean. That you have been loved like nobody could be loved. And he wants so desperately to have a relationship with you that is marked by that love. We all have had trouble in our lives, like that little boy in the letter, that nobody else knows about. And maybe one of the things is that we struggle with most is in an area of giving and receiving love. In part because so much of what we see and what we experience is what, what I want to call because of love. I love you because I find something in you that I deem lovable. Go ahead and put that up on the screen, guys. I love you because there's something that you could do for me that, that benefits me, that helps me, that strength, whatever. It's because of love. And strangely enough, religion can jump in there and say, well, God loves you because. God because, loves you because you give generously. God loves you because you serve tirelessly. God loves you because you love sacrifice. Whatever you want to call that because of or fill in that blank with, but it's still contingent love. 
If you do this, then I'll love you. Our example of love most of the time is just that. But on rare occasions, every now and then, that second love steps into our lives. And it, it almost never fails to stun. And in spite of love. And in this series, God with us, we are being reminded that God, through the coming of his son, has loved us with just that kind of love. Not because of love, but in spite of love. See, friend, through Jesus Christ, God not only gives us a new way to hope, a new way to find peace, and a new way to find joy. We've been celebrating those each week with the lighting of a different candle. But he's also come in person to show us a new way to love. Now, the Bible's filled with stories, all kinds of stories. But they all come together in one central story, not just of this book, but also of this entire world. And it's simply this. It's the story of a God who is determined to rescue his children because he is nuts about them. And he clearly loves them with an in spite of kind of love. Not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, not because they have even asked for it. The scripture tells us about a bigger than life story of a God who's determined to save his kids because he can't help himself. He's so full of in spite of love. And at the center of that story is a baby. Baby. In John 3.16, the scripture says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Usually when we hear that he gave his only son, it's always connected to his death. And that's true. But I want you to remember this morning, he began to speak that in person with his birth. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through this baby, through this person, through this son. And here's why that's good news. Because Jesus didn't come to proclaim your judgment. He came to claim it. We didn't need Christmas to know that God is powerful. We can look at the majesty of creation and we can deduce that. We didn't need Christmas to know that God is intelligent. We can look at the order of the universe and deduce that the designer of this world is absolutely brilliant. But where in the world do you look to determine what his heart's like? At a baby in a manger? At God coming in person? See, Christmas would be one of my answers to how in the world you determine what his heart's like. To know that God is loved demanded that he come in person himself. And his greatness is so complete that he could, and his love is so great, he would. And you see, with this coming, there comes a new way to picture love. And most of the world, this time of the year, not paying much attention. But John wrote about this love. Dear friends, we should love each other because love comes from God. And everyone who loves knows God. And has become God's child. And whoever does not love doesn't know God because that's who God is. God's love. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life in him. That's what real love is. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us. And so the Bible repeatedly asks this question. Do you want to know what love looks like? 
Look at Christmas. Look at Christmas because love looks like Christmas. Say, well, Jimmy, how? Let me show you three quick reasons. Number one, love gets close. That's the first one. Love gets close. Long-distance love is an option. I've experienced some of that. Maybe some of you have too. It's an option, but it's certainly not the best option. Love comes near to what it loves. Love is approachable to that which it loves. Love is in person when it's at its best. One of the many things that I think several of us in this room love are holiday movies. I do. And one of my favorite childhood movies that I I just watched over and over and over again to the point of almost not liking it near as much is The Miracle on 34th Street. It's still an incredible story. It's the story of Macy's department store on 34th Street in Manhattan. They were hiring a new Santa that was so kind and so thoughtful and so winsome, it actually raised the question, could this be the real Santa? It's a great movie. And so it was a little disappointing when I went online to see if you could still see Santa at Macy's. And you know what? You can. Next slide, guys. But you've got to make an appointment. Get on Santa's calendar. You see that in red down there? Because Santa's busy. And, and, and he doesn't have time to see just everybody. And so you've got to get on a list. You've got to make an appointment. You've got to fit into a schedule. And you know what, folks? That is how most people see God. He's distant. He's fixed. He's immovable. And he certainly is hard to reach. But Christmas says, no, he's not. God hits the road compelled by love, and he heads to a place called Bethlehem. Now, church, remember, Bethlehem didn't mark the beginning of Jesus. Bethlehem simply marked the beginning of God among us in person, in Jesus. That's all. Because of Bethlehem, love came close. In fact, I'm about to make a statement that is so out there, my finite brain cannot comprehend it. Now, I believe it by faith, and what I'm about to say, I believe, is absolutely true, but my brain struggles to get a hold of this. Are you ready? Here it is. Christmas declares that holy God was willing to become a single fertilized egg, and he was surrounded by an amniotic sac in the womb of a virgin. Was given birth to by this virgin, and then placed in a feed trough for a bassinet. That explains God's intense desire to get as close to you as possible, to come in person. (laughs) There was a popular series of detective novels written by a woman named Dorothy Sayers. The main character of her novels was an aristocrat by the name of Lord Peter Whimsey. The novels were set in the 1930s in Great Britain, and Peter Whimsey was a brilliant crime solver in those series of novels, but he's a lonely and he's a broken man. And about halfway through the series, a new character shows up. Her name is Harriet Vane. Harriet was one of the first women to ever graduate from Oxford. She wrote mystery novels, and her and Peter meet, and they fall in love. And her love for him begins to heal him, and it begins to help him. 
And he becomes a much better person. Interestingly, though, Dorothy Sayers was one of the first women to ever graduate from Oxford. She wrote mystery novels, obviously. And she fell in love with her character. And so, she wrote herself into the story. So that her love could reach him. Friend, if you haven't understood it yet, the story of the universe. Not just the story of scripture, but the story of the universe. Is of a God who wrote himself into our story to reach and to heal the ones that he loves. And it still stuns me that he would. There is no other faith in the world that pictures a God who would get that close. But that's what love does. It comes near. It shows up. It gets close. But number two, love goes low. Love goes low. I heard about an admissions counselor by the name of Rebecca Stakey. She's a counselor at an Ivy League school, and as you can imagine, she has read thousands upon thousands of admission. But her prestigious university can't be attended to by very many. And all that she's read say the same things. Her students have great grades. They have high honors that's been bestowed upon them. They have extracurricular activities they're involved with, and some have even led them. And they're always followed by letters of impeccable recommendation by very important people. But Rebecca said, I was always looking for someone who would champion the thoughtfulness or the kindness of a human being, not their brilliance and notoriety. And she said, then one day I received this application. It stuck out because the letter of recommendation was from the high school janitor. He said, I hope you consider this young man for your university because he's just so nice. He always says hello to the hall monitors. He always turns the lights off. He always helps pick up when everyone's left and no one's watching. And he knows the name of every janitor in the building because he really likes us. He really likes us. Well, as you can imagine, that student was voted unanimously by the board for admissions into that Ivy League school. And that kind of love is just so rare. That kind of caring for another human being is so rare. Especially rare from how often I try to promote myself. Make it an effort to climb up, not get down. But love does that. Love gets low. Don't believe that? Well, Christmas marks and celebrates the largest scale demotion in the world. Ever. Now, I'm going to read a passage in a moment that the Apostle Paul wrote that we've read so many times in situations like this that I know it's lost the punch that it had the first time maybe it was read. But here we go. Maybe the uniqueness of it will sink in again this morning. Paul said this, Jesus has always been as God is. But he did not hold on to his rights as God. No, he put aside everything that belonged to him and made himself the same as a servant who's owned by somebody. And then he became a human by being born as a man. And after he became a man, he gave up his important place and obeyed dying on a cross. Wow. How do you humble God? And the answer is, 
don't. He has to choose to do that himself. And so what Christmas is telling us about love is that love is more than giving. Now, love is always going to include giving, but real love is more than giving. Real love is giving up. Now, that's the challenge. It is for me. But Jesus gave up heaven, folks, to come and live here in person. He gave up pure joy. He gave up beauty and love and a place marked by sorrow and marked by greed and marked by hate. He decided to come in person. He gave up the glory of deity to be limited to the frailty of a human being. And for the first time in eternity, God accepted limits on how we could move and how we could act. And even by human choices. But that's exactly what he did. He gave up an existence where he was adored and served by countless angels so that he could come and be a servant in obscurity and in poverty. The man had no home to call his own had no dinner table that he gathered around on a daily basis to, to enjoy what you're probably going to enjoy this afternoon. Why? Because love goes low. That's why. Maybe that's why you've noticed that Jesus is always stooping. He's stooping over to hold a child. He's bending over to pull Peter up out of the water. He's getting down on the ground to look eyeball to eyeball with a woman who had been caught in adultery. He's on his knees washing the filthy feet of a man who's going to betray him to death. And a few hours later, he's bending over to pick up a cross because love goes that low. It doesn't just give, it gives up. And Jesus so loved us that he made himself low enough that sinful men could lift him up and put him on a cross. But love doesn't stop there. Love gets close. Love goes low. But love gives all. And it had to. Love had to give all because if God loving us enough to become a man was all he did, that would have been cool. If God loving us enough to become a servant man, that would have been cooler. But it still wouldn't have been enough. Because if that's as far as God's love went, we'd still be lost. And I think I needed to be reminded of that again today. If God came into this world as a baby, that's cool. And if God came and that baby turned into a servant, that's cooler. But if it stops there, we're lost, church. Because God had to love us enough to become a substitute. Or as John put it, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. And so allow me for a moment to remind you of the beauty of this revolutionary message we call the gospel. Because Christmas rebukes the most commonly held religious belief in our entire nation and in most of the world. That's this. God just simply wants you to become better. If you're good, that's good enough. And if that's true, then why in the world was Jesus born? And certainly, why in the world would he get on a cross? Because you were dead in your sins, that's why. 
Because you needed God to do what you couldn't do, and that was to be a sin sacrifice that you could never atone for. The self-atonement plan is a joke. A manger says, and a cross underscores. It's a joke. It's absurd. Jesus came in person so that we would know love goes that far. It doesn't just give, it gives up. And that's why the Hebrew writer says it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. Even though it was an offering, even though it was a gift, even though it maybe cost you something, it wasn't enough. You want sacrifice and offerings, but you've prepared a body for me, the writer says. Because of this, we've been made holy through the sacrifice that Jesus made in that body once and for all. So how far did love go? We know love accepted our hell so that we could accept his heaven. That's how far. Paul would say this, Christ never sinned, but God put our sin on him so that we might be made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. Put simply this, love took Jesus to the place where Jesus could take my place. Because the God of Christmas loves us to death. He does. And so now when God looks at my picture, and when he looks at your picture, what he sees is not just our faces. What he sees is Jesus' righteousness. That's a stunner for me. A few years ago, our nation grieved another senseless Mass shooting had taken place. It was in San Bernardino, California. Some people were in a training class at a public health center. And two men with masks walk in and began to shoot round after round of bullets to those who were inside. And two of those inside were Denise Perrazzo and Shannon Johnson. They shot at Denise, but she survived because Shannon threw himself on the floor and put his body between her and the bullets. And what was aimed at her took his life. And she said his last words to her while he was over her and embracing her and protecting her were this, I got you. I got you. And Christmas has a similar message. And that is that God came and he took our place Put his body where ours should have been because God wanted to say, listen to me, in person. I got you. What does that have to say to anybody who is looking for love today like that? Well, I'm here to tell you that love, listen to me, is looking for you. Now, all the other religions in this world are going to tell you how to look for God but there's only one faith, and that's Christianity, who says that God, in person, came looking for us. Back when the AIDS epidemic was first getting diagnosed, I remember reading about a young woman who had contracted the disease because of a very promiscuous sex life, and she was dying. And the minister came to see her, and she said, listen, you're wasting your time. There's no hope for me. There's no place for me. I've made too many mistakes. God is not about to welcome me now. And on her dresser were some pictures of a little girl. And so the minister asked her, who are those pictures of? And she said, my little girl. 
She's the only good thing I've ever done in my life. And so the minister asked her, would you help your daughter no matter what she needed? She said, oh, yeah. Would you forgive your daughter no matter what she has done? Oh, yeah. Would you love your daughter no matter what? She said, oh, yes. He said, then please know this. God has your picture on his dresser. And I don't know how you hear that. Maybe because of life, maybe because of some really bad teaching from places like this. Someone said, you're not good enough for the love of God. But Christmas says this. God has your picture on his dresser. And on his fridge. And in his wallet. Now your worth didn't create that love. His love creates your worth. That's the message of Christmas. And so on this Christmas day, I promise you, hear me, I promise you, I'm going to get away from the music and the presence of the great food. And I'm going to find some time to pray this prayer over this family that I love so much. It's not original. Can't take credit for it because it comes from Paul. But I mean every word of this. I'm going to speak it over you now, so I'm going to ask you to please stand. But Christmas morning, I'm going to pray it over you as a family. I ask the Father in his great glory to give you the power to be strong inwardly through his spirit. And I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith. And that your life will be strong in love and we've built up in love. And I pray that you and all of God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. And how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. I just want to say this as we close. If you are looking for that kind of love, we would like to help you find him. So there's going to be some elders up here at the front and at the back. If you've never opened your heart to Christ, we'd love for this to be the Christmas that you did. And if you've done that in the past, and yet you know the decisions you've been making lately have, have really closed that heart, not permanently, but just kind of set him aside. And you'd like to renew that relationship, that's what we'd love to do. Put our arms around you, speak grace over you, and help take some new beginning steps with you, all right? Let's praise in church.